Well, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We approach your word reverently and humbly. And Father, we ask that as we look to your word today, that it would be a light to us. Father, that we would receive your word with meekness and with gladness in our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, this is the final week of our uh, relationship series. And um, so I want to pick up kind of where we did, uh, where we left off last week. And, um, you know, I told Melody, if you interrupt me too many times, you're not going to be able to preach with me next week. You won't even be able to come to church. I'm just, I'm just kidding. She's watching online. I think, hey, baby, I love you. <laughs> I'm getting in trouble even as we speak. And so let's look at our, our theme scripture, which is 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse 5. But I'll start reading with verse 1 just to give some context. We don't want you to be ignorant of the grace of God bestowed upon the churches of Macedonia, how that in a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded to the riches of their liberality, or literally, of their generosity. For to their power I bear record, and beyond their power they were willing of themselves, praying us with much entreaty that we should receive the gift and take upon us the fellowship of the ministering to the saints. One translation says, we beg them, please take our gift. And uh, so they're serious about this. Uh, but because why? Well, they know what this will do. Not only where it's sent, but also what it will do in their own lives. And then verse 5, this is our theme text. And this they did, not as we had hoped, but first gave their own selves to the Lord and to us by the will of God. And so if you want to be able to do something in your relationships that you have not been able to do up till this point, you have to first give yourselves to the Lord, and then you can give yourselves to those relationships. Uh, you know, in marriage or marriage counseling or pre-marriage counseling, we, we typically talk about this triangle where you have a man and a woman, and if their focus is the Lord, the more they get close to the Lord, the more they come together and close to each other. But if they have different focuses, well, then they're going to be going different directions. And so you give yourself first to the Lord and then to us. And so here, the Macedonian believers, they had, were in a great trial of affliction and deep poverty, yet they were full of joy. In other words, you can't always uh, label your circumstances that everything's just going to be fine. Even Paul said, I've learned how to be abased and how to abound in all states, how to be content. He's not saying that you should be abased or you should abound in those. The context of what he's talking about is in all states, you're content, that you are looking to the Lord and he's always providing for you. Uh, you know, and if you uh, get the privilege to do any missions trips, you'll find that that's really, really true. Uh, my wife and I, when we went to the Philippines together, we went on a three-week trip uh, back in 2005. And uh, man, it was a real interesting experience because we went to three different churches on uh, three different islands. And um, the first church was kind of like a, a Baptist church. And so it was very evangelistic. And so we went door to door like morning to night. And then we had meetings. And then uh, the next church was kind of like a Holy Ghost church. And the third church was a church plant. And um, so the middle church, um, they had a building. And their building was gorgeous. For this village, uh, it looked like a building that you'd have in their capital city, which is Manila. Uh, you, you could just have placed it in Manila. Um, but in the village, it wasn't like that. Well... They had just gotten into that building about a year before we were there, and before that, they were meeting in a cockfighting arena. 
So every Sunday morning, yeah, so all of you that help, be very thankful, because every Sunday morning they would clean up the poop and the blood and the uh, uh, parts of the chickens or whatever that would fight in order to have a service. And they did this week after week after week after week. And um, it's interesting, when I first started uh, ministering, uh, you think, well, I, I don't have that much ability. Well, this would have been probably in like 06 or 07. And uh, I ministered for a friend of mine at his church, and they were meeting in a, um, oh, what is it, like a convention center, a real small convention center in a small town. And I told that story. And I just, it was in my heart, and so I told that story, and I hadn't thought much about it. And um, he told me later, he said, you know, he said, I was getting ready to quit. Because they had to pick up uh, beer bottles and all this other type of stuff all the time. And he thought, you know, if they can pick up blood and poop and all this stuff, what am I complaining about? And so it's amazing how the Lord will use your testimony uh, to really help people and set people free. But uh, so anyhow, that couple, they sent my wife and I on a date while we were there. And um, so they had a little rickshaw pick us up and took us to this really nice restaurant for the area and um, let us off there. And then they waited outside and then uh, they came back and picked us up and, and took us back home. And um, they, the first church didn't have a lot of finances, but this church seemed to have a lot of finances. But I noticed that this church, uh, they took care of us really well. Uh, they took us up an offering which uh, if you're traveling for missions, you really don't want them to take you up an offering because uh, you're going there to bless them. But if you understand seed time and harvest, uh, it's the hardest thing in the world to accept it. But you have to accept it because that's their seed. And in this particular church, you could actually see the fruit of their seeds because they had sown seed and they had the nicest building and they actually had a car. Most of the pastors just had a little motorcycle, uh, but they actually had a car. And um, they were just increasing more and more and more and more. And so, but you have to give yourself first to the Lord, and then you can give yourself to other people. So last week we talked uh, quite a bit about marriage, and we'll pick up uh, on that uh, real quickly here. Let's go to Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22. And I'm going to read in the Amplified Translation. And all the men will appreciate that I'm reading in the Amplified Translation, and you'll know why once I get to the last verse. Okay? And so, uh, verse 21. Be subject to one another out of the reverence for Christ, the Messiah, the Anointed One. Wives, be subject, be submissive, and adapt yourselves to your own husbands as a service to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, himself the Savior of his body. As the church is subject to Christ, so let wives also be subject in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, that he might present the church to himself in glorious splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such things, that she might be holy and faultless. Even so, husbands should love their wives as being, in a sense, their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and carefully protects and cherishes it, as Christ does the church. Because we are members, are parts of his body. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother, and shall be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh." 
This is, mystery is very great, but I speak concerning uh, the relation of Christ and the church. However, let each man of you, without exception, love his wife as being, in a sense, his very own self. And let the wife see that she respects and reverences her husband, that she notices him, regards him, honors him, prefers him, venerates and esteems him, that she defers to him, praises him, and loves and admires him exceedingly. That's why I said the men would appreciate the last part of that verse. You know, they normally say the Amplified Bible is the woman's translation because it has more words. But uh, I think maybe uh, the husband got to put something in there. <laughs> well, you can boil down so much of marriage and marriage problems. Well, really, every problem is a love problem. If you walk in love... Uh, you'll fulfill all the commandments. Uh, John 13, 34, and 35, a new commandment Jesus said I give to you, that you love one another, even as I have loved you. And uh, if you're not going to walk in love, you're going to have trouble in every part of your life, every arena of your life. But if you walk in love, uh, you'll learn to put your flesh under. Uh, because your flesh doesn't want, your flesh is selfish. Your flesh says, I want what I want, when I want it, which is now, or I already want it. You know, I should have had it by now. Uh, but when you walk in love, uh, you're yielding to the Spirit of the Lord. Verse 33 is such a key verse because, however, let each of you, without exception, love his wife as being, in a sense, his very own self, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Somebody said uh, that the heart of the husband turns to where he's respected, and the heart of the wife turns to where she is loved. And um, if you, uh, I read a book about this one time, and it was interesting, and Melody and I were reading it together, and uh, she said, is that true? And I said, what? She said, well, it says right here that uh, where you work, that a man would much rather have people say that they respect him than that they love him. I said, oh, yeah, I could care less if people love me. I just want their respect. I don't care. I mean, you do care. You don't want people to, like, hate you or something like that. But for a man, your heart really does turn towards where you're respected and uh, for a woman to where she's loved. Well, in Ephesians chapter 5, it's such a good uh, passage for marriage because the heart of a woman who is loved as Christ loved the church and Christ gave himself up for the church is like uh, it's so easy to defer it's not a challenge to defer because when you're loved with that kind of self-sacrificial love that the husband is giving up his wants, his needs, his desires for the good of the wife, well, she's going to like have a hard time not submitting and not coming. You know, uh, submission does not mean obeying. Really, uh, the best way to refer to it is that you are deferring. Uh, in the home, uh, you know, you have to have a head, and the Word of God tells us that the husband is the head of the, of the home, and um, not that the man is the head of the woman. Because in Christ, there is neither male nor female. All are the same in Christ. But when you talk about the home life, uh, you know, the woman is to defer to the man. Well, it's not a problem to defer to love. Because love thinks the best, love believes the best, love is patient, love is kind, tenderhearted, forgiving. And so, uh, you know, in my own home, 
uh, I don't know if I have, we've been married for 16 years, and I don't think I have ever said, uh, this is what we're doing, I don't want to hear what you have to say about it, because that's not love. And so uh, some people get off on really weird ideas that uh, the wife has to do whatever the husband says, it doesn't matter if it's biblical or not. No, this is in the Lord. So you can have, there's many situations where you may have, yeah. (laughs) Amen. There's many situations where you may have uh, an unbelieving spouse. You know, if you have an unbelieving husband, he could say, you know, uh, you're not allowed to uh, go to church. Yet the Bible says, forsake not the assembling of yourselves together. You know, there's a, I got to tell this because it's so funny. there was a lady named uh, Sylvia Patterson, Sister Sylvia Patterson, in one of Brother Higgins' churches that he first pastored. And uh, she was a short, red-headed lady, and she was a mighty woman of prayer. I mean, if you, if you, he would say, if you didn't want to get your request answered, please do not turn it in, because she, along with a little prayer group, uh, they would pray about it, and you would get it. So if you don't want it, don't turn it in. And, um, but before she was born again, man, she was wild. So she would like drink and, uh, cuss and was really rough and all this stuff. And so she got born again and her husband didn't, his name was Jay. And, um, so he got to, he got to, um, dinging at her, you know, you're always down there at that church and why are you always down there? And, you know, you're not here. And she said, now, Jay, she said, I go down there on Sunday morning, Sunday night and Wednesday night you know, when they, have, when they have an event. And he said, um, or she said, she said, I always have everything done at home. I have meals for you and I have this, this, and this. And um, uh, before she was um, born again, what she would do, she was so little, he was a really big guy. And um, if uh, they got into a fight, she would get out a cast iron frying pan and hit him in the head. <laughs> so... So he's dinging at her this time, and you know, he's like, you know, Sylvia, you just this, you just that. And, and uh, she said, well, Jay, I've just been thinking. Maybe I should go back to the way I was before I got born again. He said, oh, no, oh, no, oh, no. <laughs> Please don't do that. <laughs> so uh, you think you have problems in marriage, you know. Who, when's the last time you got hit with a frying pan <laughs> in the head? Well, I like that story because uh, sometimes you think of people that are people of prayer, and you think like, you know, like really uh, Billy Brim. Do you know Billy Brim, you know? And, um, uh, but the Lord uses all of our personalities. Uh, and um, he, he wants us to um, yield ourselves to him no matter what our personality is like. So uh, let each one of you love his wife as being his very own self. So it's not a problem at all uh, to yield to the love of Christ. When you're being loved with the love of Christ... Uh, that kind of love is, uh, is very simple and very easy uh, to be entreated. I want to read you um, a passage from a, a book called, um, I guess the front is gone, The Greatest Thing in the World, and this is written by a man named uh, Henry Drummond. And as one of my, the whole book is on 1 Corinthians 13, verse 4 through 8, one of my favorite quotes, um, where love thinks no evil. And he says, If we try to influence or elevate others we will soon see that our endeavor is successful in proportion to their belief of our belief in them. So I have to read this slow because it's kind of 
hard to grasp. Uh, to respect a man is the first restoration of self-respect he has lost. Our ideal of what he is becomes to him the hope and the pattern of what he may become. Now that you heard it one time, I'll read it again so you'll get it. If we try to influence, or uh, this is talking about love believes the best and believing in people. So have you ever noticed that when someone believes in you, that you actually rise up to the level that they believe in you? When you realize, no, you can do it. I know you can do this. Uh, you, you've got what it takes. I remember when I was a, a teenager in our church growing up, and man, I think I was 16 years old, and my pastor asked me to pray in front of the whole church. Well, for me, that was a big deal because I did not like being in front of people. And, um, uh, but I remember his words. He said, I believe in you. You can do it. And that affected me. I remember those words to this day. Okay, so listen to what he says. If we try to influence or elevate others, we will soon see that our endeavor is successful in proportion to their belief of our belief in them. In other words, however much you think that someone else is believing in you, then your uh, mission is successful directly in relation to that. To respect a man is the first restoration of self-respect he has lost. Our ideal of what he is becomes to him the hope and the pattern of what he may become. So if you're talking about a husband or a wife or a son or a daughter, the home life, well then one of the greatest ways that you can walk in love is that you believe in them. Well, well uh, the problem comes in in family life is that um, I know how you act. I've seen you approach this situation time and time and time again. So I know what you're going to do. So my reaction uh, and my, the, even the atmosphere I create around me uh, is for you to fail again in that area. So I have no belief that person is not believing in me. Right? They're expecting me to fail again. They're expecting me to make a mistake again. And have you ever noticed that family, many times, uh, when you started living for the Lord or you started to make uh, steps forward spiritually, uh, sometimes the hardest people to be around are your family because they want to put you in this box, especially if they haven't been growing spiritually. Uh, because, uh, you know, something about family. Uh, they don't want to admit that, uh, that uh, you know anything that they don't know or, you know, that you've gone any place that they couldn't go, uh, which they could go any place, the same place. But um, that you believe in them, uh, particularly talking about children, because, um, you know, I found a key for my own children is that I'll say to my children, um, I'll ask them lots of questions. And so I'll say, um, what do you think daddy just said to you? Or I'll say, um, Daniel, uh, you know, he has such a tender heart, but he's also very, like, um, stubborn. Right? So he's just like, <gasps> but his heart is so tender. And so I'll say to him, um, uh, well, what's going on, daddy? And he's like, I feel like you're being harsh, daddy. And I'll say, okay, explain harsh to me. Right? So uh, I'm not perfect. I have raised my voice to him. But then sometimes he'll say that like, my harshness is when I'm telling him he's not allowed to do that. So I have to find out what's the definition. And, um, you know, the, the greatest keys in family life are to be quick to repent, quick to forgive, and to walk in love. Because 
uh, you're going to make mistakes. And if you're raising children, well, the best thing you could possibly teach your children is to be quick to repent, quick to forgive, and to walk in love. Because they're going to have difficulties, they're going to have struggles, and if they see that um, you're not perfect, but you ask them to forgive you and you ask the Lord to forgive you, well, that is a model lived before them that they can put in practice in their own life. Versus so many times, uh, unfortunately, ministers lose their families uh, because maybe they have like a facade up front, uh, but at home, uh, the kids know what's going on. And, um, you know, it seems like uh, the kids are either like really wild or uh, they're very like um, dominated so that as soon as they get out of the house, they turn really wild. Uh, but, um, you know, when, when you're talking about your own family, you don't want to win the whole world yet lose your own family. And so quick to repent, quick to forgive, and to walk in love because the love of God will cause your children uh, to rise up and cause them to be able to fulfill what God has called them to do. And if they see love modeled in the home, do you know that the believer in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 6, Paul tells us that we are the temple of the living God, that the believer, that your spirit is the temple of God himself. But every home of every believer should be also the temple of the Lord, so that when you go into the home, uh, there are atmospheres in homes. And so you can walk into... Uh, uh, homes, and if you have any spiritual sensitivity, you can know like what's been going on, especially if there's like uh, been fights and harshness. I mean, you know, you just know down in your spirit uh, something's been going on, and um, you can know that. But children learn by what is modeled in front of them more than what they are taught. And the Bible says to train up a child in the way he should go. And when he's old, he'll not depart from it. Well, what does that mean? Uh, that, that means just like you would train, um, oh, this is for you, just like you'd train a horse, right? You could train a horse. Well, if you're going to train a horse, uh, you're not just going to say, okay, go out and do this, you know, do this maneuver. You're going to take and uh, put them on a lunge line and teach them how to do whatever. See, I don't, I'm speaking how to turn, right? Teach them how to run in a circle or whatever. Uh, you can't just do it one time and expect them to do it perfect. You have to train them and you show them. You, you actually, okay, no, I don't want your head like my mom loves to do dressage and so she wants their head like down like this, you know. And so, uh, you know, they have these training things they put on their neck. Well, you just don't do that one time and expect that they're going to get it or two times and expect they're going to get it. That is a lot of work that you have to train and train and train and you have to have a lot of patience. Well, it's really sad that sometimes people are more patient with animals than they are humans. And so um, train up a child in the way he should go. So also there are, there are multiple bents to children. So some children respond to different things. Like I mentioned Daniel, you know, um, he, his love language must be words of affirmation because like words are very uh, important to him. Where some of the other children uh, may be more affected by a, a, a spanking on the butt. <laughs> Um, and so, but you have to find out, because why? Well, if words are very important, and I say very strong words to you, 
it's going to cut a lot deeper than to somebody that that doesn't matter so much. And so same thing, we're talking children, but the same thing with husbands and wives. And uh, the thing about a husband and wife is you kind of know how to push each other's buttons. And uh, you have to not do that. (laughs) You have to walk in love and uh, yield to uh, the Spirit of God. All right, let's... I'm going to read uh, from the Amplified Translation of uh, 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 8. Love endures long and is patient and kind. Love never is envious nor boils over with jealousy. It is not boastful or vainglorious, and it does not display itself haughtily. It is not conceited, arrogant, and inflated with pride. In other words, I'm always right. I know I'm always right. I just want you to acknowledge that I'm always right. It is not rude, unmannerly, and does not act unbecomingly. Love, God's love in us, does not insist on its own rights or its own way, for it is not self-seeking. It is not touchy or fretful or resentful. So you realize if you're full of worry, you're not walking in love. Love is not fretful, that you're not full of a bunch of worry. And uh, it's not full of resent. It's not touchy. Like I can talk to you. If you have love, if you're yielding to the love of God, I can talk to you about difficult subjects. Uh, Melody and I, whenever we would have, uh, uh, we don't really argue a lot, but whenever we would argue, uh, I consider it an asset, but she didn't really like it. And that is, uh, if the atmosphere would get a little tense, I would kind of start to laugh and chuckle. Well, she's thinking, this is very serious. Why are you laughing? And so when she it always seems to happen when we're on a car ride, which it didn't happen this week. That's good. And so I would just start, you know, and then I learned, like, she doesn't like that, obviously, and I could see from her perspective why she wouldn't like it. But sometimes it's really still difficult for me. And um, I said to her, well, at least I don't, like, get upset and yell and be like, ah, what are you doing? I just, uh, I just start laughing. And um, I'm not laughing like, why is this important to you? That, I guess, is my response to a tense situation. Um, love is not touchy or fretful or resentful. It takes no account of the evil done to it. Imagine that. If you had a marriage or relationship where you don't take account of the evil that someone did to you, like you don't take that into your calculation of your response, that you're going to treat them the same no matter what. That, that lady, uh, Sister Sylvia Patterson, she, um, uh, when they would have some fights, uh, one time he locked her out of the house. And uh, so she's lo- locked out of the house. So she slept on the back porch. This is in Texas, you know, so it's a little warmer. So she slept on the back porch on the floor. And um, the next morning he came and he opened the door. She didn't say a word to him. She got up, went inside, and made him breakfast. That's called walking in love and putting your flesh under it, let me tell you. Uh, You know, and I wasn't there for all that, but if I was involved in all that, I I would say that's a great thing to do, and then also let's have a discussion. It takes no account of the evil done to it. It pays no attention to a suffered wrong. It does not rejoice at injustice and unrighteousness, but rejoices when right and truth prevail. 
Love bears up under anything and everything that comes, is ever ready to believe the best of every person. Its hopes are fadeless under all circumstances, and it endures everything without weakening. Love never fails, never fades out, or becomes obsolete, or comes to an end. Love never fails. Uh, other things will fail, but love will never fail. Faith, hope, and love, uh, th- these actually go into the next uh, reality, the next uh, realm with us. Now, um, in marriage, you're going to have difficulties. Uh, the Bible actually said, Paul said through the Holy Spirit, uh, if you marry, you will have trouble in the flesh. He didn't say you'll have trouble in the spirit. He said you'll have trouble in the flesh. So you're going to have trouble. It's a matter of what you do when trouble comes. And as I said last week, uh, the four main areas that you have trouble are with uh, your belief system, religious stuff. Um, And the reason I use the word religious stuff is because we don't believe you should have any religion. You should have a relationship. Uh, But religion is is just like... um, it's a method of doing things, and a lot of people get tied to religion more than they are to Christ. So we believe you should have a relationship, not a religion. But uh, religion still causes problems because people have their beliefs and their way of doing things and their systems. So religion not only includes your relationship with the Lord, but it also includes religious stuff. Um, and then number two uh, is sex. And um, you know, many times people will not decide before they get married and not set expectations correctly and they have problems in the sexual arena. And then number three is uh, raising children. How are you going to raise your children? What are you going to do? You know, you see people that have different beliefs and uh, even different um, uh, areas of Christianity and some particular churches are very adamant that your children will be raised in this belief system and they will be baptized in this belief system and it's I've seen it cause uh, difficulties in many marriages. And then finally, uh, the fourth thing is finances. And uh, if you look at problems in marriages, uh, one of those four areas or all of those four areas or some of those four areas are going to be areas uh, where there uh, are problems. I had a... I have uh, some friends, and when they first got married, man, they, they fought all the time. I just had fight, 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 all the time. And so uh, we went to visit them one time, and they said, well, we had a fight a few days ago. And I said, you did? And she said, yeah. She said, um, he went out. He got so mad. Somehow the car wasn't working or something. He got so mad. He went out, and he got on the riding lawnmower, and drove away on the riding lawnmower. <laughs> so he's driving away on the riding lawnmower. He's going, going, going. All of a sudden he realizes, this thing is really slow and I can't get anywhere. So that's even worse because now you have to drive back on the riding lawnmower. And um, uh, it's, it's, it's funny the things that you will do whenever you... Uh, uh, get on the wrong territory and start thinking the wrong things that you'll just like, ah, I'm getting out of here. And, um, you know, you retreat. But it's important that you live a life of forgiveness and repentance and of communication. Because if you want to have a quality marriage or quality relationship with your children, 
you're going to have to communicate. So you're going to have to talk about the difficult subjects. Uh, you're going to have to talk about uh, things that make you uncomfortable. Otherwise, you're not going to have any quality at all. You know, and there's... Um, it's amazing. Some people's marriage problems go all the way back to an event where there was misunderstanding, and they never resolved it. And so for year after year after year after year, uh, that event has clouded their relationship. And because it's clouded their relationship, uh, they just keep getting pushed further and further and further apart because they never open themselves up uh, in that area because there was a hurt. And, and they, didn't, they weren't quick to forgive or quick to repent. And they weren't quick to communicate. And so I tell people, if you can't actually tell them, why don't you write it down? Just at least write it down. Send them a letter. <laughs> Give them something. Uh, because it's not worth it. Marriages are... Um, uh, challenging enough as it is, and it's amazing. I'm so thankful uh, for my marriage, but um, a lot of people have difficulties in marriage, and that's not the will of God. There's actually never been an authentic uh, Christian with Christian marriage who authentically walked in the love of God who has ever been divorced. It's not possible but you have to have the authentic love of God that you're yielding to. And so uh, that's called heaven on earth, that you just uh, kind of bump into each other and step on each other to try and do something for each other, that you kind of get in each other's way by trying to help each other and try to be a blessing to each other. And, you know, it seems to me in my marriage that I have the greatest opportunity to walk in love when I feel like doing it the least. So when I, we have four children, and so when the pressure is on, and you're both tired, and you, know, you both just need a break, well, that's when tensions are uh, much higher. Well, somebody has to decide, like, I'm going to actually walk in love. Uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to say, I don't think you meant that. Uh, I don't think... Uh, she must be tired, she must um, be having a difficult time, there's obviously something else bothering her. And I would say, normally there's one person in the marriage who communicates a little better than the other. Um, and so instead of you being the better communicator, and you take that and get what uh, 1 Corinthians 13 is saying here, self-righteous about it, but you actually take and turn that and you help the other person communicate. I'm a much better communicator than my wife. And so instead of me, I could sit and I could say, like, I don't understand why she can't communicate. Why doesn't she tell me this? No, no. I take and I help her figure out what she's thinking or feeling because a lot of times she doesn't even know. So I'll start asking her questions to try and draw her out and, and figure out um, what she's thinking or feeling. Uh, but I could just as easily just be frustrated with her because she's not communicating. And, you know, she doesn't even know. Normally it's because she's hungry. <laughs> Her family calls it hangry. Because when it's time to eat, it's time to eat. Amen. <laughs> Amen. Yeah. So I've learned when she's hungry um, that the best thing I can do for her is not preach her a message 
but get her some food. Right? So I may want to say something or whatever, but uh, walking in love is very practical, uh, that you want, to, you want to help them to be able to be as successful as possible. Let us bear with the infirmities of the weak. And I don't say that towards her alone, me as well. Uh, I have weaknesses, uh, many weaknesses. And, um, but a marriage where each spouse is endeavoring to let the love of God dominate and my favorite translation is Weiss translation because right before verse four, I think it's verse three, verse two or three, it kind of gives a summary. It says, this is the love that impels one to deny himself for the sake of the one loved. So the God kind of love just kind of pushes you to deny yourself for the one that you're directing that love towards. And when you do that, it does something deep on the inside of you uh, that you cannot get that satisfaction any other way, that you just refuse to uh, yield to your flesh, and it'll affect every area of your life. God himself is love, 1 John 4. God is love. And so if we're going to walk in God, we're going to be walking in love. So I want to encourage you as, I, as we close that um, no matter where you're at, in your marriage relationship or relationship with your children or extended family. Yield to the love of God. Maybe take the next 30 days, month of March, March is here this week, I guess. Uh, take the month of March and just meditate every day, at least once a day on 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 8. You'll notice like you're, if you actually do it, you'll notice your marriage will get better, your relationships will get better. You'll probably notice you have a few more challenges uh, but you'll have the word uh, that'll help you overcome those challenges because uh, walking in love is walking in God and it'll actually set you free. It'll set you free from having to gratify uh, your flesh. Uh, sometimes people have a lot of uh, issues uh, from growing up that they never really resolved and so you're looking for other people uh, to bring you satisfaction and that'll never happen. Nobody's made to do that except for Jesus. He'll bring you the most uh, deep, inward satisfaction. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Heavenly Father, we come to you in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And Father, we love you. We thank you that you have given us your love, that we could receive your love, and that we could love others with your very love, that you gave us your nature, your life, and your ability. Father, I pray right now if there's anyone under the sound of my voice that doesn't know your son Jesus as Lord and Savior, that they would make a decision today uh, to receive him in Jesus' name. Every head bowed and every eye closed. If you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus Christ, you've never received him, uh, the Bible says as many as received him, to them he gave the right to be the children of God. In other words, uh, you can believe in Jesus and still not be a Christian. It's as many as received him, you have to receive. So if I had my keys up here and I handed them to you, uh, the way you'd get them is you would receive what I'm giving to you. And so if you're here this morning and you've never received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and you'd like to, slip up your hand. We'd love to pray with you and for you. Secondly, if you're here this morning and you were a believer, but you just let other things get in the way and uh, mess up your relationship with the Lord and you'd like to come back, come back into the father's house like the prodigal son. If that's you this morning, slip up your hand. And third, 
if you're here this morning, you've never been baptized in the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in other tongues. Uh, there is an experience after salvation called the baptism of the Holy Spirit. You shall receive power after the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you'll be witnesses unto me. If you'd like to be baptized in the Holy Spirit, slip up your hand. Well, Father, we thank you today for your word that has been spoken. We thank you for opportunities to walk in your love. Father, I pray for every relationship that is represented here and those that are listening online. I plead the blood of Jesus over every single relationship. Father, I thank you for the anointing of your spirit that removes burdens and destroys yokes. Father, I thank you that your word is like a fire. And it's like a hammer that breaks the stony hearts into pieces. So, Father, I pray right now for marriages especially, for restoration. Father, for areas of tenderness and hurt and sorrow, that there'll be restoration and new light and a new day, like the dawning of a new day. Father, I pray for tenderness to take the place of hard hearts. Father, I pray that your way, your way of love, would show up in each and every family as we meditate in your word. Concerning love, Father, we thank you for forgiveness, that we have been freely forgiven, and so we freely forgive. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.